Bibles this morning, open over to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, or you can uh, turn over on the Version app. And uh, while you're getting to Romans chapter 6, uh, we are starting a new series this morning called Fail Forward. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how our failures, how our shortcomings can help lead us into better relationship with the Father. You know, we'll talk about things like sanctification and acknowledging uh, those sins, acknowledging those flaws, those failures that we have. But let's just start off right at the beginning and acknowledge the thing that we're all thinking of when it comes to that word failure. We don't want to talk about it, right? Like, honestly, we don't want to talk about failure, We don't like the word. We don't want to think about the word. And oftentimes, the reason for that is because for so many people, failure seems to define everything, right? Like failure defines everything. All all of my past, all of the mistakes that I've made, I just don't want to think about failure. I don't want to, I want to pretend that it's just not there. It's everything in their life just seems marked, defined by their failures, by their shortcomings, For some, the word failure is the thing that keeps them from really going out and trying to do the things that they want to do. Fear of failure, fear of of what if I do this and I fail and people don't like this and, you know, we don't really want to talk about failure. But the truth is this, this morning we've all failed at something. Every one of us in this room have failed, have fallen short at something in life. And really, the truth is, we know from Scripture, we've all fallen short. But here's the thing. Out of failure can come great things. Out of failure can come learning. Out of failure can come the things that we need to do to improve and to get better. Michael Jordan once said that, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. It's through failure, this uh, mistakes made, missed opportunities that you can learn and that you can grow. But when it comes to this idea of failure, one of my favorite sayings is not from an athlete. It's not from a movie director but it is from a character in a movie. And he's a wise, wise man. He's lived for centuries, so he should know. And this is Yoda. Yoda. In the movie, The Last Jedi, Yoda is standing before Luke Skywalker, and Luke Skywalker is a shell of the man that he used to be. He lost his nephew to the dark side of the force and and he feels like he can't be the kind of teacher that he needs to be for Ray and he's just the shell of himself and while he's standing before the spirit ghost of of Yoda Yoda says these words to Luke Skywalker he says heeded my words not did you pass on what you have learned strength mastery but weakness, folly, failure also. Yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. Wow. And I thought about trying to do it in the voice, but I was like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But see, here's the thing. Yoda's right. Failure is a great teacher. 
It is. And the, the truth is, failure is it's not uncommon for us. But how we handle failure is important. In Proverbs 24.16 it says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. And so how do we deal with failure? And how do we learn from failure? And how do we grow from failure? And we're going to spend some time talking about that. And so this morning, it starts with this. The realization that failure, that sin, no longer has its grips on us. We are no longer a slave to sin. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul is going to lay out some things that we need to remember when it comes to sin in our lives, some things that are very important for us to remember. And so we're going to start in Romans chapter 6, 1 through 7. And in these first seven verses, Paul wants us to know this right off the bat, that we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. And so what does Paul say? Well, in verses 1 through 4, he tells us this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's kind of interesting, right here at the bat in chapter 6, Paul has to put to, to bed this idea of, shouldn't we keep sinning if sin is what causes our grace to increase? If, if God bestow, or bestows grace on us because of our sin, shouldn't we keep sinning? And Paul says, absolutely not. No, we shall not go on sinning. And apparently this was an issue that the church in Rome struggled with because in Romans 3.8, Paul says, why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. And really what Paul is saying in here is that there were people who were going around with the mindset that the gospel is a license to sin. I've, I've been given grace so I can keep sinning and sinning and sinning because God's just going to keep pour, uh, pouring grace on me. And you know, the sad thing is, I've heard people even today use this, this idea that, hey, I've been forgiven so I can keep sinning and, and I know I'm just going to keep being forgiven. And if you feel that way, I'm sorry, I would question your mindset, I would question your motivation. And why would I do that? Well, Paul says... By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We have died to sin, and we'll talk about that more here in just a second, but this idea that if we've died to sin, then why should we keep living in sin? Why should we keep doing it? Why should we keep longing to do this? And really what Paul is saying is, we should not desire to willfully sin. If we have died to Christ, then our desire should no longer be, let's keep sinning. No. Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 24, it tells us, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. John says something similar in 1 John chapter 3, verses 6-9. through 9. He says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. And so, if we have died to sin, our desire should not be to keep living in sin. Our desire should not be to willfully continue to do the same things that we have been doing. And so, Paul's going to explain this a little bit further, what he means here. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order to that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. Baptized here in this context, it's referring baptism into the Spirit. When we believe, we are baptized into Him, and thus, we are baptized into His death. Just as Christ died, we also die to our former self. Our former self has been buried with Him. But here's the thing, just as we have shared in the death of Christ, we also share in His resurrection. Just as He was raised, we too raise, but we raise to a new life we put our old life to death and we live a new life we talked about this in ephesians we were once dead to sin dead to our transgressions separated from god but when we uh, died to him we were raised with him in a new life new body and it says here that we too may live a new life this phrase literally in the greek means so also in newness of life we should walk about Well, the word for newness in the Greek is a life that has a new, fresh quality to it. We should live life as though our life has this new, fresh quality. And that's true. We desire freshness, right? Like in our food. We don't want to go to the store and say, give me the oldest thing you have. No, we don't do that. We want fresh, right? Like if we go and get a steak, we want a fresh steak. We don't want, hey, give me a steak that you've had back there for three months. Like, Like That's not what we want. Right? We have this desire for, for fresh things. And so we should desire a fresh life that has left sin behind. And here's the thing. We'll talk about this more. That desire's not going to go away. But we know that we are dead to sin. And he continues talking about this in verses 5 through 7. He says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And he says, if we've been united like this, we're going to be united with him in resurrection. And just as we've been raised with him in the spiritual sense, the future tense here of uh, we will carries this idea of a physical resurrection in our death. Second Corinthians 4.14 Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you 
to himself. Someday our body will be no more, but our spiritual self will be in heaven with him. And he says that we put this old self to death. We crucified this old self. This old self, it's this idea of who we were before Christ. We were a different person. We were no longer the same as we once were before Christ. Before Christ, we lived according to the sinful nature, right? We did everything according to the law and the law of sin. We followed sin. Sin had authorization of our lives before Christ. But once we become Christians, once we give our life to Him, that old self is gone. John Whitmer, in his commentary on Romans, he points out a couple of things that we were, a good list of things that we were before Christ. What are those things? Well, one, we were under sin. Before Christ, we were under sin. Romans 3.9 tells us, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Before Christ, we were all under sin. Before Christ, we were also without power and seen as ungodly. Before Christ, we were without power and ungodly. Romans 5, 6 tells us, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Without Christ, we were without power and ungodly. What else were we? Well, we were sinners. And, and just what it is, we were sinners Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What else were we in the old self? Well, we were enemies of God. We were enemies of God. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, the old self was crucified so that the body ruled by sin would be done away with. What Paul is saying here is that the body itself is not sinful, but it is controlled by sinful nature. But this dying of the old self means that we are dead to sin. We are freed from that, that master. We are freed from the authority that sin has over us. And here's the thing, this does not eradicate sin. The temptation to sin is still going to be there. There is still a sinful nature. But in 1 John 1, 9-10, it tells us this, But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His, and his word is not in us. No, see, rather what this is saying is that so, our sin no longer has mastery over us. We are no longer required to follow its will. We, you see, we have been set free from sin. And this phrase has been set free. It's a loose rendering of the Greek word that literally means have been justified or declared righteous. And the perfect tense of this verb is a past action with a continuing effect or force. And so really what it's saying is we are constantly being declared righteous. We are constantly being justified before God. We are constantly being, even, uh, even though we fall short from time, we are still being declared righteous before him because of what he has done for us sin no longer has us under its control we are being justified and declared righteous in front of him 
And there's something freeing about that, isn't there? To know that we are no longer under the authority of sin. Think about that. If you let your, your past mistakes, your failures, your sins define everything about you, find comfort in this, that we are no longer, if you give your life to Him, you are no longer under the authority of sin. You're dead to sin. And so Paul continues now in verses 8 through 14. And the second thing that he wants us to know is this. We must not let sin master us. We must not let sin master us. And what does he say? And he continues in verses 8 through 11. He says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's a lot in these few verses. If we died with Christ, we will now live with him. This is often interpreted one of two ways. Some interpret this to mean we now live the spiritual life and are spiritually resurrected people. And some interpret this to say that it's eternally as physically resurrected beings is what it's talking about here in verse 8. But both are true. And maybe that's what Paul is getting at. Paul doesn't say one way or another, this is exactly what I mean. And I think there's a reason for that. And then he tells us that we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. You see, Jesus' death on the cross and his burial and his resurrection was final. There, there's no more. He cannot die again. He, they're not going to, you know, Jesus isn't going to come back to die on the cross again. His death was once and for all. Death no longer has mastery over him. And in verse 10, he says, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. Verse 10 is important because we know, right, that Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted, but he never sinned. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. And he says once he dies, that he died for sin once for all. Hebrews 9.26 says, Otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, this was a one-time payment. Our past sins, our present sins, our future sins, Christ died for all of these things. All of our past mistakes, all of our present mistakes, all of our future mistakes, Christ has died for these things. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are to do the same thing. We are to count ourselves dead to sin. And we do this because we know that we are now alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are alive to God through Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 3 through 3-4 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. As we mentioned earlier, when we die to sins, we are alive to God in Christ. We lose 
that compulsion, that desire, that need to sin constantly. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And the thing we said that Paul wants us to know here is that we must not let sin master us. So what does that have to do with what we're reading? Well, he tells us why in 12 through 14. He says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not, let, or do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. You may be thinking, Paul's been saying, we're dead to sin, we're dead to sin, we're dead to sin, we're dead to sin, we're alive to Christ. So why here is he telling us that we must not let sin reign in our mortal body? It seems like Paul's contradicting himself, isn't he? Well, no, he's not really. What he is saying is that, yes, the authority of sin no longer reigns over us. We are no longer, once we are in Christ, that desire to just sin constantly should not be there. But here's the thing, that sinful nature is still a thing. Sinful nature is still a thing. Every day we face that sinful nature in our lives. And if you feel like you're the only one, know that you're not. Even Paul struggled with this. Romans 7.21, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Sinful nature is a real thing. And it is there with us every day, tempting us. And I love how BibleReference.com worded this. A great quote they mentioned while talking about this. They say, we are not slaves to sin. We can only volunteer. We are not slaves to sin. We can only volunteer. So therefore, we need to make sure each and every day that we are not letting sin rule over us when it has no authority over us. Right? Sin does not have authority over us, so we need to fight against that sinful nature every single day. And how we do that, Paul tells us, is not to offer any of our body to sin, but rather we offer our body to God. And what Paul is saying here, it's very important. We must wage war with sin and control our bodies. Here's the thing, you can control what you do. We don't think about that often, right? But it's true. We control what we do. We control how we respond to situations. We control how we react to things. We control how we are going to handle anything that's thrown us. We get to control what we do. And you see, we can control what's happening to it. You know, are you feeling tempted in a certain sin? Get accountability. Get accountability. Find somebody that you can be accountable with about these things that you're struggling with against these temptations. If you're struggling, go and get help. Reach out to people for help. There's things that we can do in those moments to get out or get away from temptation, to remove ourselves from temptation. And I get it. It is easier said than done. It's easier said than done. But we have the power to control our bodies, to do what is right. And instead of using our bodies for sin, we offer everything over to God so that the things we do in this body, instead of being sinful, brings Him glory. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 tells us, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought, as a, or bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And our bodies is this saying we're our temples of God. And sometimes uh, this is taken out of context. And what he's talking about here is simple. We are, our bodies are temples. So we use this body that has been given us. The Holy Spirit is in us. We use our body to do what is right, to not sin, but to bring him glory and to bring him honor. Philippians 1.20, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be, or in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always... Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. We must not let sin have mastery over us. And we get to decide each and every day. Are we going to decide this day? I'm going to let sin take over. I'm going to let sin be in control. Or do we do the things that we need to do to try and avoid these temptations, to try to get away from these things? And, and yes, the sinful nature is always going to be there. That, that capacity, that, that ability to stumble, to fall is always going to be there. But we decide how are we going to fight against this? Are we going to let it master over us or are we going to master over it? Are we going to give it to God and let Him be in charge? And it says that we shall no longer, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. It just seems when you read through the New Testament, the law, it's connected with sin. 1 Corinthians 15.56 tells us the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But being under the grace of God zaps the power of sin. And so we need to give our lives to Him. And we give our lives to Him, we need to make sure that we're not letting sin have control over us. And then we move on to verses 15 through 18. And the last thing that I think Paul wants us to know here is this. We are no longer under sin, but righteousness. We are no longer under sin, but righteousness. In verses 15 through 16, Paul says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are the slaves of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So Paul, again, having to bring this back up again, uh, shall we uh, sin because we're not under the law but grace? By no means, absolutely not. Being uh, under grace does not give you the right to say, hey, I'm going to go and keep sinning so that God keeps giving me grace. That's not how it works. And then he goes in verse 16 to talk about this idea of when you offer yourself to somebody as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one are the ones you obey, that one person. What Paul is saying here is really easy to understand. You belong to the side you serve. You belong to the side you serve. If you choose to uh, be a slave to sin, if you choose to live by sin, through sin, in sin, all the time, it's sin, 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 sin. You are not a, a slave to righteousness. You are a slave to sin. You are living the sinful life, and that is who you belong to. But if you are a follower of Christ, if you belong to Christ, you live your life through righteousness. Jesus 
talked about it when he talked about money, but I think it applies here in in variety of situations. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So if you are a slave to sin, you serve that authority. If you've died to Christ and have been raised with him, you become under righteousness. And then verses 17 through 18 says this, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Here's the good news this morning. This is wonderful, great, amazing, awesome news. We have been set free from sin. If you've given your life to Him, if you've given your your faith to Him, your trust in Him, you have been set free from sin and now you are under righteousness. And and we're talking about this idea of what it means to to fail forward. And, And this is the thing I think we need to start with. We may fall short, but we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. We don't have to be under the authority of sin anymore. You can choose to walk away from that. You can choose to no longer be under the authority of sin that just leads to ruin. You get a choice. And here's the thing. This is how it all, this is how it all comes about. 1 John 2.2 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. The atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. He died once and for all to sin so that we can be forgiven and we can come to Him and we can get out from underneath the thumb and the authority of sin and we can choose to live for Him. And here's the thing. We know again that sinful nature is always going to be there. Temptation is always going to be there, knocking at your door. And man, we don't have to let it master us. We don't have to let it control us. We don't have to let it take over in our lives. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, I'm going to ask you this morning, who's your authority? Who's your authority? Are you living under the authority of sin? Here's the thing, sin sounds good in the moment, right? Like sometimes sin sounds good because, you know, we've talked about it in Ephesians. Our enemy is crafty. Our enemy is sneaky. Our enemy knows how to tempt us. And in those moments of weakness, he offers us with things that, hey, this sounds good, doesn't it? But here's the thing, those things are only going to leave you lacking and wanting more and desiring something better. And maybe you've been under the authority of sin and and you are just feeling like no matter what I do, I can't get out from underneath it. And every single day, my sins are always there and it always marks me and all I'm doing is defining myself by what I've done. You don't have to live that way anymore. No, you can choose this morning to give your life to Him and you can die to Him and, and be raised with Him. You can put the old self away and find that fresh new life. And we do that because of what Jesus has done for us. He's the atoning sacrifice of our sin, for our sins.
not just for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. All of our sins taken on by this one man. And so this morning, if you're here and you've been living under sin, it's time to let that go. Let the old self go and give yourself over to Christ. And so if maybe you're here this morning, you've never given your life to him, on your connect card, you can fill that out. I'd love to to talk with you, pray with you. Any of the elders here would love to talk and pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking back and then you stumble and you fall. And here's the thing, that sinful nature is always there. And maybe what you need to do this morning is you just need to lay that at his feet. Just lay these things at his feet. The mistakes, the stumbles, the falls you've had over the week, lay these things down. Nearly every day we should, but if you haven't, lay it down today. But it all starts with this. If we're going to talk about how we learn and grow from our failures, it starts with realizing we should not desire to have to fail forward anyway. Our goal is to try to live for Him as best as possible, to not let sin have mastery over us. We don't have to be under the authority of sin any longer. We can let that go. We can let that old self go. And so if you're here this morning and you have a decision to make, pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.